All right, here we go, 11.15. My name is David. I uh, serve and work with our young adult ministry called The Porch. And they're here to represent. Hey, let me read the passage as we continue this uh, series, Summer on the Mount, as we look at Jesus's first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Let me dive in and read the passage, pray really quick, and then we'll, we'll go. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 6, starting verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food or the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store in barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear for the pagans or people who do not know God? Run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me pray. Father, would you speak to us now? Thank you for the teachings of our Savior on the topic of worry and the truth that we can experience freedom in a life that is increasingly free from worry. Would you help us to take ground in that even now? We love you. Amen. Well, we are talking about worry, if that's not clear enough already. And uh, I'm going to start with a story that kind of captured a moment of my own experience not too long ago with worry. It was uh, related to a trip that uh, myself and a friend of mine who we used to be on staff, JP, were going to London. We'd been invited to be a part of this conference, 75 pastors, kind of young adult pastors from all over the really the world, and uh, a chance to go to London, hang out, be a a part of uh, a few days with them. And um, and the weeks leading up to this conference, uh, JP had been in kind of a battle at that point. If you've been around, you you know uh, JP, our friend that moved and is now at Harris Creek, but. He had been in a season where he'd been wrestling with anxiety and sleep. I asked for permission to share this story. He'd been wrestling with just anxiety and really over sleep. And so he was concerned. And the weeks before, he's like, it's eight hour plane change or time change. I'm worried. Am I going to be able to sleep? Um, Hey, hey, just pray for me and just uh, uh, know that. That's my biggest concern. So I go into like total full-blown wingman. Hey, dude, I got you. If you don't sleep, I don't sleep. We're hanging out. We'll go see the town 2 a.m. I'm here for you, buddy. Don't let yourself be concerned about that. I'm all in. We'll do it together. We'll go see what London has. I know they got a bridge. I'm sure they got some other things. And we'll just go see the city. And, uh, so the day came. The day came. And get on the plane. Get over there. We get to our Holiday Inn, which is where we're staying. And, uh, and side note, I've never been to London before. And, uh, and so we get to a, our room. And I didn't realize that the Holiday Inn in London is not like the Holiday Inn in San Antonio. And that the room was like 10 feet by 10 feet. It was like, where is the rest of it? Or where is yours? And uh, what I, I mean, like truly, it was like, oh man, dude, we're, we're like going to bed, getting ready for bed. There we are, single bed, single bed. And, and it's like, all right, good night, buddy. Fist bump. And uh, it was like that close. And uh, so the night comes and we're there and he goes right to sleep. 
was great. And all of a sudden, kind of like out of nowhere, anxiety comes into the room and it didn't come for him. It came like waves of it over me. And I began to play this tape of my wife at that time was eight months pregnant. And I began to like think through, oh my gosh, eight months. That's like, she could go into labor. What am I doing here? What type of dad am I? How fast can you get home from London to Dallas? Not very fast. There's no like, and I begin to just think through, what if she goes into labor? And I see her, she's driving in the car. There's water breaking. She's got our other son there. She's, she's trying to drive. What sort of husband am I? What am I doing here? And waves of anxiety just kind of begin to plague over me. So man, poor guy, he finally gets to sleep. And, and the guy in the room with him, who's supposed to be his wingman, is now just full of anxiety and is like, hey, psst, hey, hey, JP, are you asleep? It was. And you know when you're that person and you just like, you just increasingly do it until you wake them up where you're like, hey, hey, you asleep? Hey, you asleep? And uh, it's like, I, I was. And I'm like, hey, you know all those like sleep remedies that you've been having for anxiety? You don't have any of those by chance, do you? Just asking for a friend. And, uh, and he's like, dude, I got you. Luckily, he was a great guy to be traveling with. He's like, he busts out like a tackle box worth of things to sleep. So we're going through all these different rooms. He's like, hey, man, try this tea. We're just sitting there like drinking tea. It's some sort of soothing tea. There's like essential oils. You're like rubbing on things. That I, I don't know how that has anything to do with sleep, but that didn't work. And he's like, hey, all right, if that doesn't work, let me bust out the big gun. He gets out this tape recording of these relaxation techniques. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, just, hey, just go along with this play. And the guy begins to kind of walk you through like relax and, and, and different parts until so the tape is like start with the pinky toe relax the pinky toe the pinky toe is in a deep sleep and, uh, and I begin to go through this and, and hey dude it worked like four toes in I was out and uh, and, uh, and so that's really all I'm here to share let me close in prayer and uh I remember the next day waking up and, and I still really had worries. I was thinking about that night of just, oh man, it's going to come again and I'm worried I'm not going to be able to sleep. And it was a trip that really throughout that trip, I experienced worry and it impacted my ability to, to sleep, impacted my day, it impacted my time. Worry is one of those things that it can just have this, this power over us where it doesn't just impact our ability to sleep at times. Worry can impact our decision-making. Worry is reasons, or worry is one of the reasons that a lot of people, um, they turn to just substances because their anxiety or their worry, they just need, man, I need a beer or, you know, there's a rise in cannabis because it's like I need something to take the edge off. Like worry can have such a power over our lives. Worry is the reason why some people marry someone who doesn't align with God's word because they're like, man, they're just not God's best, but it may be the best I can do. And I'm afraid that if I don't marry them, this may be my last chance. And they make a decision that has consequences for the rest of their life, but it's out of worry. Like, think about that. Worry is the reason why some people become workaholics because they're concerned or worried, man, if I don't take advantage of this opportunity, if I don't work enough hours, maybe I'm not going to be able to provide. And worry can have all kinds of consequences in our life. And the interesting thing about worry is nobody wants to worry. Like, no one is like, God, you can have everything in my life. I surrender all of it, just not the worry. I want to keep this for myself. I really enjoy it. All of us come in today and we're like, if there's a way to be free from anxiety, if there's a way to not worry, I would like to experience that. If there was a button, I said to everyone who just hits this button, no more worry, I think we'd all be like, man, I want to hit, hit the button. 
And the good news is, worry's not a new thing. It's been going on for years and years and thousands of years when Jesus was around, the people that he spoke to worried and experienced worry. And further good news is that God, who's there, who loves you, doesn't want you to experience a life that's filled with anxiety and with worry. And he's given clear instructions on how you can experience a life free from that. So today we're going to talk about just the answer that Jesus gives to anxiety or how to win the battle of worry and look specifically and break down the text that I just walked through and look specifically at what Jesus says. We're just going to trace his, his essentially what he covers, where he goes through, hey, let's talk about the results of worry. Here's the reason if you're a Christian, you don't have to worry. And then he gives such a helpful remedy to worry. And these verses, many of you, if you grew up in church, you've heard them so many times. My biggest fear for you is that you've lost the incredible truth that he gives us in them. Because you may have heard something or you just heard that doesn't work, but I am convinced and I believe and I know and it's true that inside of these teachings from God's word, there was tremendous opportunity and really a tremendous truth that if you apply it will change your life and will set you free from worry. Begin to experience being increasingly set free from worry. So let me pick it up in verse 24 where I read already uh, and we'll just go through a little bit slower. Jesus, interestingly enough, begins a conversation about worry by connecting it to money. As though some things never change, even in his audience's day. People around the topic of money would create anxiety or worry. So let's read it again. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and love the other. What are you talking about, Jesus? You cannot serve both God and money. So conclusion, therefore... Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. He just covers what his audience would have worried about, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. And that day, there wasn't refrigeration. So what you were going to eat, you kind of got up wondering, is there going to be food again today? And what you were going to wear, most people didn't have clothes, very expensive. You had two outfits, usually at most. So he's covering what their audience worried about. To you, he would say, whatever you worry about. Hey, don't worry about where your kids are going to go to college. Don't worry about your retirement. Don't worry about your health. Don't worry about where you're living. Don't worry about whether or not you're in the right neighborhood. Don't worry about whether your job is the right one for you or you're going to get the promotion. He would say, whatever you're worried about, don't worry about whether or not you're going to get married. Don't worry about whether or not you're going to have kids. He's not saying don't care or try or be responsible, but he's saying, you don't have to worry about it. And then he asked two profound questions I really want to hang and spend the majority of our time on this first point on isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes isn't life more than getting married isn't life more than having a retirement isn't life more than just being healthy isn't life more than having like it spends all of your focus and all of your attention it's what you do when you're worried you just like it consumes you and you're spending your life on something that at the end of the day I mean life is so much bigger than those things His audience, he would say, as it relates to food and clothes, but to you, whatever you're worried about, he would say, why do you spend so much of your life focused on something that's such a small portion of life? And then the second question, and can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? The first idea I really just want to camp out on is the results of worry. Jesus says the results of worry, anytime they're present, are worthless. They don't add any benefit. Worry always costs you. Worry never helps and it always costs you. Worry never helps you. 
and it always costs you. I know that's not the most profound thing. If you're sitting there, you're like, yeah, I know, duh. That's why I want to hear about what Jesus has to say. But Jesus is just getting his audience's head. Hey, can we all agree? Let's all get on the same page. Worry's never a productive use of time. You're sitting there worried. It's not a productive use of your time. Can we all agree? No one adds to their life by doing it. And he's just getting his audience. Hey, let's all kind of get on board here and make sure we're all in agreement. The genius behind his question of isn't life more than that is it's his attempt to pull his audience back from the things that they were getting so focused on because worried just kind of we get so nearsighted. I can't think about anything else other than this, the thing that I'm worried about. And he's trying to pull them back and deflate some of the power of the worry that they're feeling by helping them see that the lie that they're believing or the irrational logic that man food is life they would on the surface say no of course life is more than that in other words if i had all the food i knew for the rest of my life i'm never going to go hungry would that be the epitome of life his audience would say no of course not it's spending so much of my time and energy and i'm focused on it to you he would say hey if you uh, you spend so much of your time worried about whether or not you're gonna get married or you're gonna be happy to have kids And you're spending your life like, is that what life is? Like life equals spouse? The only people who would believe that are people not married. (laughs) Because we'd be like, no, of course not. Of course. So much more than that. Takes all my time, all my attention. Life, I'm so concerned about my kids getting in the right school. Is life equal kids getting in the right school? No. Why would you spend so much of your life? You're just pulling it back, trying to deflate the power of their worry to see through. Because anxiety and worry like creates this fog where unless you're intentional to apply God's word or to seek the truth in it, you don't see the lies or the illogic, illogical thinking that can be behind it. What do I mean by that? Um, really, today, counselors, if you ever go see a counselor, or if you have seen them, oftentimes do something very similar as it relates to anxiety. My wife is a counselor, um, and uh, if you go, I'm about to give you $150 an hour free right now, people. This is for you, okay? So you go see a counselor, you're wrestling with anxiety, they'll do something that Jesus was just ahead of the curve. It's 2,000 years old, uh, where they will do something similar, where it's like, hey, trying to pull you back and deflate some of the power of worry and see what's behind that. What do I mean? They'll just asking questions, help you go, uh, let me use an example. If I go in and I'm like, man, I'm just worried. I can't sleep. I'm worried I won't be able to fall asleep tonight. Well, what if you can't fall asleep tonight? Well, I guess I'm going to be really tired tomorrow. What if you're really tired tomorrow? I guess I'm going to be really tired tomorrow. Can you make it one day being really tired? I guess I, guess I can make it one day. Or maybe a more, let me use a more relevant example, even personally in my own life. Of uh, Maybe you go and you're worried, am I going to be able to pay for kids' college? You go, I'm just worried about this. Maybe going to be able to afford, you know, sending my kids or paying for their college today. Sit down, counselor would just do similar to what Jesus said. What if you can't afford to pay for your kid's college someday? Well, then I guess I'd have to take out a loan or I got to get a scholarship. They're not very athletic, so that's not going to happen. And they, uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe they won't even go to college. I don't know what, well, what if they have to take out a loan or get a scholarship or what if they don't go to college? well, then I would feel like I just, I, I was a bad dad. I mean, I didn't provide in the way that I should have for my kids and I just wasn't able to do that and I didn't provide like a dad should. Wouldn't a good dad. Is that what a good dad does? Pays for college? Have you ever known a good dad or is it possible that there could be a good dad that doesn't pay for college? It's possible that you could have a bad dad who did pay for college? 
on the top 10 list of things that make a good dad, where would paying for college be? Would it even be on that list? And I think we go, huh, yeah. I guess that's not what a good dad be, does. Or it's not really the main identity. But in the midst of the fog and you get paralyzed with that worry, you can almost like believe that lie. And here's the craziness about worry. Worry never helps, it always costs. Is in that moment for me, worrying about the future and being a good dad in the future robs me of the only guaranteed opportunity I have to be a good dad, which is today. Worry never is productive. It always costs us. It never helps you. And the God who's there saying, and so maybe, maybe you're not worried about college. Maybe you're like, dude, I'm worried about rent this week. I'm worried about putting shoes on my kid's feet. I'm worried about whether or not, you know, my, uh, the cancer treatment's going to work. Jesus would still say, you do not have to worry about it. There's a God who's there who loves you, who cares about you, and has invited you to a life where you can trust him. And he's going to go next to the reason why you do not have to worry. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable to God than a bird? Yet, and yet, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow is thrown in fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus draws a relationship between the size of your faith and the size of your worry. So do not worry, saying, what should we eat? What should we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans are people who do not have a heavenly father. They run after all of these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Jesus says that you and I can experience a life that is free from worry because you have a heavenly father who has promised, I got you. I will meet your needs. I'm committed not to meeting all of your wants, but I will care and provide for your needs. The reason why if you're a Christian in the room, you do not have to worry is because God has promised. I will meet all of your needs. I have promised and I'm committed to meeting your needs ultimately on the cross for all of eternity. But you have a heavenly father, if you take notes, who has promised to meet all of your needs. And Jesus says, you don't have to worry. He's not saying don't try. He's not saying don't be responsible. Work hard, be responsible, fill out applications, do all the different things that uh, are the right thing to do. But at the end of the day, he's saying you, you don't have to worry about it because you have a heavenly father who has promised, I got you, I will meet your needs. Four times in this passage, he says the same thing. Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. It's hard to miss the underlying hammering home theme that Jesus wants us to take away. The Bible, really interestingly enough, hammers home in a very similar way, a theme of its own that is so relevant to this. Do you know what the most repeated command in all of the Bible is? Anybody? You guys gotta start reading your Bible, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) Do not be afraid. Fear not. Do not fear. 366 times it says it. That is one for every day of the year, including leap year. As though God wants to make it abundantly clear, I do not want my people to live in fear. I don't want you to be afraid. More than it talks about, hey, don't, you know, 
drink or chew or date girls or do or any of that stuff. It says, you do not have to be afraid. I don't want you to fear. Fear not, fear not, fear not. And hammers home the idea that God wants his people to know I'm a loving heavenly father. I got you. Even implicit in saying, don't worry. He's telling us, I got you covered. He couldn't be a good God if he was saying, don't worry, but I don't got you. I mean, think about it. Like, like um, if, if I was hanging out with you after today and we were going to finish the service, we're like, hey, let's go to lunch. We're all going, let's, going to Matitos. Come on, that's great. You ride with me, I'll drive. And as we're heading there, you begin to go, oh man, I forgot my wallet. And I say, don't worry about it. And we get to Matitos, we're eating the food, hanging out. The waiter brings a check and they go, you want one check or two checks? And I say, two checks. <laughs> you would look at me like, what do, you, what do you mean two checks? You said, don't worry about it. I told you I didn't have my wallet. You said, don't worry about it. And if I responded with, <laughs> oh, you thought I was going to pay for you? No, I just, I didn't want you to worry. Worry's never fun. I, I mean, I was just trying to encourage. <laughs> you would say, you're a bad friend and a little crazy. <laughs> and you would be right. Could the God of the universe tell you, do not worry about it and be a good heavenly father unless he's also saying, I got you. I will meet everything that you need. You have a heavenly father who loves you and has committed. I will care for you. I mean, think about even, I love the parallel that he draws of like, hey, your father, how much you love. I mean, think about, um, there's a new phenomenon. I'll, I'll share it like this. Uh, kind of among the tribe that I run with, um, which is young adults called dog moms. And a dog mom is just what you think. They don't see themselves as a pet owner. They see themselves as a, a dog mother and, um, or a dog dad. And, uh, and there is uh, one girl that is the most extreme example of this in particular that is on my staff team. And I don't want to name names, but hers is Emily. And uh, <laughs> she's the most intense dog mom I've ever met. I mean, she thinks of like her dog, like she really does think like they're a child. I mean, she, she's every time, this is a quote, every time I go to Target, it's like, ooh, opportunity to buy a new toy for my, my little baby. She has picked out Halloween costumes already for them. She's got that covered. She's throwing the sweaters on there. She gives her dogs middle names. It's one thing whenever we all have friends that are like, hey, my name's Mary Claire. And you're like, Mary, and she, it's Mary Claire. She's a, is that with her dogs, where it's like, this is Cooper James. Cooper, it's Cooper James. And uh, you're like, there is something, we should talk about this. Community should be involved here. And uh, she is the most, the lengths to which she goes to provide for her dog are just crazy. Do you think that she loves her dogs more than God loves you? You think she cares about her dogs, thinks about her dogs more than God loves you? I think when you ask it like that, if we'd all say, of course not, that'd be silly. But functionally, a lot of us live that way. A lot of us believe that. There's no person who loves their dog more than God loves you. There's no parent who loves their child, the Bible says, more than God loves you. Honestly, if, uh, if there's a lot of things that are hard to believe. That's one of the hardest for me. Because if you're a parent in the room, you know there's like this illogical love. You just love your kids so much. The links you'll go to to provide for them, to care for them. Like they just, they're, they're, uh, you do anything. Because you so love your children. 
I mean, there's like a protectiveness, even as a, as a father that comes out that is like at times irrational. My wife came home recently. She had taken our son. He was doing swim lessons. She came home, brought him home. I was like, how did it go? She's like, it wasn't great. Swim lessons, he's, you know, some of the other kids, they're getting it and he's not doing great at it. And uh, he didn't like it and he didn't have a great attitude the whole time. He doesn't like to swim and he wasn't really able to do it like some of the other kids. And I snap into like a protective mode that doesn't even make sense where I begin to go like, huh. Who do swim lessons think they are? Really? Why are we even swimming anymore? We don't live in the ocean. You don't need to swim. And it's like, what, what is wrong with you? You're, you love your kids so much. The God who's there loves you more than any parent has ever loved their child. And he's promised, I will provide for you. And he ultimately displayed that on the cross by dying in your place, by sending his own son that there's no length that I will not go to to care and provide for the needs of my children whom I love, even if it requires the death of my own son. That's what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is someone who says, I have trusted that Jesus came and died the death that I deserved. He died on the cross, and in, in doing so, he paid for all of my sin, everything in the past, present, future. He died, it was paid for, and he rose from the grave, showing the payment cleared. It was more than enough. That's what a Christian believes. The God who's there says, there's no link that I won't go to. I love you and I care about you. You can trust me. There's an old uh, Puritan named John Owen who had a quote that was so good that it, it goes like this. He said, it is irrational. I'll just read it. It is irrational for a Christian to worry because a Christian in doing so would be saying, God, I trust you with all of my eternity, just not with Thursday. So strong. That it is irrational to say, God, I trust you with everything. I surrender all. You got it. Everything, you know, sun, moon, stars, you hold everything together by the word of your power, but you can't handle my presentation Tuesday. It's irrational. Because as Christians, we know that there's a heavenly father who's promised, I got you. I will provide for your needs and you can trust me because I love you. And I've fully displayed that once and for all on the cross and dying for your place. You can trust me with today and with tomorrow and with everything that you have. It's been well said before that as Christians, we do not know what tomorrow holds, but we're the only ones who know who holds tomorrow. That as Christians, we don't know everything tomorrow holds, we don't know what it holds, but we're the only people on the planet who know the one who holds tomorrow. And he's a heavenly father who loves you, cares about you, is committed and promised, I will meet your needs and have ultimately met your greatest need by dying in your place. And then finally, Jesus doesn't just cover the reason, but he gives a remedy that was so helpful and practical and really transformative in my own life. So let me read that next. But seek first. The word seek is the same word prioritize or embrace as first in your life. God's kingdom. That's God's reign, God's will, God's agenda, God's rule, and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He gives us the remedy for worry, which is simply replacing your agenda with God's. You will release your worries when you begin to replace your agenda with God. So stay with me because I think a lot of us have read this verse before and here's what you've heard. Jesus saying, hey, don't worry. Seek first his kingdom. Don't worry. Just go on a mission trip. Don't worry. Just read your Bible more. 
And all of those things are great things, but if that's what your takeaway is, you miss the power of what Jesus just said. He said, I want you to embrace as first place in your life, Jesus's or God's agenda, God's kingdom, God's will, God's wants and desires for your life. Put those on the first place or on the throne of your life. Let there be no competition. God's agenda, my agenda, I'm gonna embrace as very first, his. And in doing so, I'll begin to experience peace. How do I know God's agenda? How do I know God's will? How do I know God's you know, kingdom or desires for my life? Well, the two ways that we know God's will or his revealed will in the Bible, that's like, it says here, this is how you should live. That's the revealed will. And then his sovereign will as it unfolds in our life. That when circumstances go in a direction, God is sovereign over all of those things. And it is his will unfolding in front of us. And the Bible says, hey, when it comes to the idea of worry, if you will learn to embrace God's revealed will and his sovereign will as it unfolds, even when it contradicts your own agenda and your own kingdom, if you will, you'll begin to experience peace. Because here's the truth. Like, here's what's so, why this is so huge. What do you worry about? I know what I worry about. And I'm pretty sure I know what you worry about. Things that you want. Your agenda. Your kingdom. We never would put it that way, but essentially all of us worry about kind of the things that, that when we experience the emotion of worry, it, it's generally related to David's kingdom, David's agenda, David's desires, David's wants. In other words, I, I sadly have never laid awake in bed, unable to sleep, going like, God, I'm just worried about all the people in Mongolia that are not Christians, and I don't know if you got it up there, and I'm just concerned. It just doesn't happen. I worry about my kids' health. I worry about all kinds of different things. I worry about finances. Personally, all of them have it in the epicenter me, my agenda, my desire. I don't worry about, you know, honestly, God getting it wrong by his standard. I worry he's not going to get it right by my standard. And Jesus said, man, if you will begin to place and embrace as first in your life God's will, God's agenda, and trust him, even when it contradicts and goes in a direction that you don't want to or contradicts your agenda for your life, you will begin to experience peace. But if you begin to be someone who says, God, you know how bad I just, I don't want to be married right now. Or you know how desperately we need this job or this opportunity. But if that's not your will, I trust you. You'll begin to experience peace, Jesus says. The crazy thing about, man, most of my worries are all of my worries are that I'm not going to get what I want or not get everything that I want is I'm not going to get everything that I want and neither are you. I think about it. Like we worry about like just things not going exactly how I want them to go. They're not going to go exactly how you want them to go. And neither am I for the rest of your life. Like, like newsflash, things don't always go and they won't always go every way that you want them to go all the time. And if that is news breaking to you, you are a toddler looking for our children's ministry, which is that way. Because it, eventually in life you go, oh man, things just don't always go. I'm not always going to get everything that I want. My agenda, the things, that, the plans that I have, they're not going to go. But God's will and God's plans will. And so when that happens and they're not going the way, I can either choose to trust him and have peace or choose worry. In other words, you can have not everything you want in life, guaranteed, you're going to have that, and peace, or not everything you want in life, and worry. Everything you want in life is not an option, but peace is. And the God who's there says, I love you, I am for you, 
embrace my agenda for your life. And in doing so, and trust me, and you'll have peace. He calls us back to something he mentioned 20 verses earlier. Do you know this? Jesus really says 20 verses earlier, very similar language. When he says, this is how you should pray. This is the posture of your life as it comes to prayer. This is really a perspective you should have in life. And he says this in Matthew chapter six, in the same chapter, Jesus had just he's one thought, same sermon. And earlier in the sermon, 20 verses, he said this, this is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, holy or set apart is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. That's in my life, in my world, on the dirt that I walk in, in my earth, your will and your kingdom before my own kingdom, your will come God. He further gives us not just an instruction on how to pray this, but he gives us an illustration and that Jesus actually lived out this idea of saying, man, I'm going to replace my agenda, my will. God, yours comes before my own and I'm going to trust you. And he puts it into practice, even puts into practice the way he said to pray. And it's in the only time we're told that Jesus looking at the future felt overwhelmed I don't know if you've ever felt overwhelmed looking at the future, but you need to know your savior was on this planet. And when he was on this planet, there was a moment he felt overwhelmed as he looked at future events, particularly around the cross and dying, being separated from God. And in that moment, we're told he prayed and what he prayed really lives out and illustrates this idea of saying, God, I trust your agenda before my own. Even when it contradicts my own. He said this in Mark chapter 14, hours before he's going to be crucified. Verse 35, going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, Jesus praying, God, everything is possible for you. Will you take this cup from me? Yet not what I will, but what you will. God, I don't want to go through with this and die on the cross and be separated from you. But if that's your will, I trust you. Practically, what this looks like is as you walk through scenarios where you're feeling temptation to just be worried or maybe be overwhelmed with anxiety, maybe it's financial. You find yourself in a place where you're going, God, you know how desperately I need this job. We've been laid off. I don't know. We've been dipping into our savings fund. I don't know how much longer we can make it. But if getting this job is not your will, we trust you. Maybe you've been walking through a season of infertility. And for you, that looks like just going to God and say, God, you know how desperately we want to have kids. We've tried everything that we can. It's been years. I mean, we're going to birthday parties for people who started trying after we did. And we're trying to do everything, God, and I can't understand why you wouldn't allow us to have children. And the doctors are telling us we don't have much more time. We're not really sure if it's going to work out. And we're asking God, will you allow us to have kids? But if that's not your will, I trust you. Will you help me trust you more? Because I don't even want to say that, God. Your kingdom and your will comes before my own. Maybe you are single and you're just looking at the clock and going, God, if something doesn't change soon, I feel like my options are only getting less and less. And this may not be the story you're writing. Our marriage may not be in the picture for me. If that's the case, I trust you. 
I don't want it to be the case, but if it is, I'm not going to thwart your will. I, I trust you. I mean, what other option do we have? Worry, I guess. Which never helps, it always hurts. And your heavenly father is there saying, I love you, I'm for you, I'm working everything for your good. There's a plan and purpose behind everything, even the pain. And someday you're gonna see even the ways that your agenda, your kingdom didn't work out. Mine was always working out. And you can trust me. I love you. I am for you. I think that we struggle over this because we think, I just can't give God control like that. I just hand him over. It's like, God, I trust you. Even if it doesn't go the way that I want, I'm just giving him control. That's crazy. He's the only one in control. You don't have control. You never have had control. Like even the way that we talk about control is a funny thing. Like we say it in phrases like, like as though we have had it. People say things like this, like, you know, I just, I struggle with control. Think about that statement for a second. No, you don't. You've never, you're saying you struggle over something you've never had, you never will, and you never will have or don't have currently. That's like me saying, I struggle with x-ray vision. And uh, it's like, <laughs> no, you don't. You are a cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, buddy. You don't have control. But the God who's there does. And he says, I love you. I'm for you. I'm working things for your good. You can trust me. And your only other option is not a good one. You worry. You can bring those things to me. Even when your agenda is not folding out the way you wished it was, mine is, and trust me, I love you. And I am a good father. Paul, the apostle in Philippians chapter four, we're about to close. We pick up on this idea of in the moments of anxiety, Bring those things to God and trust him and you experience peace. In Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven, I want to read what he says. And I just want you to like, look at, at what he commands or what he calls us to do. Three times he says the same thing. Do not be anxious or worry about anything. But in every situation and everything that you face, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That's the same thing. He says three times the same exact thing. Prayer, petition, present your requests to God. Pray, petition, which means to ask, and present your requests. Like, what are you trying to say? Paul's hammering home. Bring it to God. Bring it to God. Bring it to God. When you worry, bring it to God. When you worry, bring it to God. Bring it to God. Bring it to God. Three times in the same passage, in the same verse. Bring it to God, bring it to God, which is so huge because think about how ways that often we get anxious and we don't think like, God, I'm just gonna pray, I'm giving this to you. I'm bringing this to you, I'm bringing this to you. And Paul says, when you are anxious, bring it to God, bring it to God, bring it to God. And when you know God, something will happen. The peace of God, which surpasses understanding, Paul says, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That when you begin to know God, know he's for you, he loves me, he's working in control, and you have the type of life that says, every time I'm anxious, I bring it to God. Every time I'm anxious, I bring it to my father who loves me, he's in control. Every time I'm anxious, I'm going to God, I'm going to God. Paul says something happens. And you get peace in the place of anxiety. 
And the God who's there has invited you to call him father. He's promised to meet your needs and given you a solution to the worry that's worthless and never helps. This, uh, I'll close here. This truth became so much more real to me about a year and a half ago. My wife and I, in October of 2017, we found out we were pregnant. We we're adding um, another child to our family. We're so excited. If you've had that moment, just a really exciting moment. And um, two months later, two and a half months later, on December 8th, 2017, Wednesday night at 9.30 at night, we get a phone call from a doctor. And, um, and I knew something was off. Doctors don't generally call Wednesday at 9.30 just to catch up. She began to say, we got blood work and tests done and everything that came back, we, we found out you're having a girl. And the reason we know that is because she's been flagged for a, a chromosomal disorder that if she has it, there's a 99% chance she's gonna die before she gets to the end of the third trimester. And if she is in the 1% that makes it out of the womb, she's gonna have immediate need for a heart surgery, a heart transplant. She's gonna have severe complications for the rest of her life. Physical and abnormalities will be a part of her. She'll never be able to have kids and really not live a normal life. There is normal. And it was like a bomb went off. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when you watch movies and like a bomb goes off and it's like all you hear is ringing and silence and And that put us on a journey for the next nine months where every day was just a, God, we don't want our baby girl to die. God, we don't want our baby girl to die. God, will you please allow our baby girl to live? We should be healthy. I can't understand how that even could be a part of your plan, God. We're asking you to allow her to live, to allow her to be healthy, God, please. And if that's not your will, we trust you. We're trying to trust you. Will you help us trust you, God? And every day, and we cried our tears, and we prayed our prayers, and our community was a part of it and walked alongside of us. And I wish that I could stand up here and say, every moment during that time was one of those where we, I just said, man, God, if that's your will, I trust you. If that's what you're going to do. But I can't. I don't even know that I could say most moments were. But I can say this. Every moment we experienced, peace was. And I don't know what you're walking through. And it may make that pale in comparison. But I know there's a God who has invited you to say, man, will you bring what you're carrying, it's too heavy for you to carry. I love you, I'm for you. Bring those things to me and trust me. Nine months later, my wife gave birth to our daughter, Monroe, and she was healthy. It was a false positive. And during that time, God grew our faith and our trust in him. 
And I hesitate even to share that part because I don't want it to make sense or sound like it's like, hey, just trust God and the baby's always fine because it's not, not the case. But I do know that God has said, you can trust me. I love you. I'm for you. I am in control. One day you're going to see it. Even the things that don't make sense that align with your agenda. I am working and redeeming. And you can trust me. And you don't have to walk through and be anxious. Bring those to me. I'm going to close in prayer. And as I do, I just want to pray for a handful of you in the room who are in a situation like maybe it's far beyond anything that I just shared. Maybe there's uncertainty whether the chemo is going to work out, where you're going to live, what you're going to do, and a thousand other things represented in a room this large. And I just want to pray for you. And if you are in that situation, I want you to know you don't have to walk through that alone. God has given the gift of community and people around to come alongside and be an encouragement to walk with you. He's commanded it so that you don't have to bear those burdens alone. And he's commanded you to bring those to him, knowing that he loves you, trusts you, or you can trust him. And when you do, you will have peace. Or I guess you could just worry. Let me pray. Father, I want to pray specifically for friends who are walking through the valley of the shadow of anxiety. They're in a place where it's hard to see what you're doing and why you would work in the way that you are. Maybe it's, it's cancer, it's infertility, it's singleness, a million other things that I don't know, but I do know you know. I pray that you right now would win in their heart you would be bigger to them than the anxiousness, bigger than whatever we're worried about. You would be bigger in our life, in our mind, in our hearts. You would be more real, God, than the pain, than the confusion. You would raise their awareness right now where they're sitting of you and your nearness to them I don't even fully know how to ask for that, but I ask that you would raise their awareness of you and your nearness and your love and your goodness, and you would win in our hearts and our minds and in our lives the battle of worry, and we would experience peace. I pray that anyone who's walking alone in anxious times would open up with their community group. If they don't have one, they would share with their community group, and they would bring their request to the God who loves them, who cares about them, who's strong enough to carry the weights that we hold. We worship you now in song. Amen.